All right, so tough question number one. How do I help someone without enabling them? A couple of you asked that same question back in the spring when we were looking for responses from you. We said, hey, if you got a tough question you want us to tackle, a couple of you asked a similar question. And I think the reason that that question would get asked, along with other questions with like, you know, what does the Bible say about this? Or what does the Bible say about this? Um, I think it, it comes from an assumption that the Bible tells us to help people and to love people. And then when we start loving people and helping people, we realize, whoa, sometimes this isn't very easy. Sometimes I'm not sure how to do this. And so think of a parent who gets the phone call, the terrible phone call that parents get when your kids are supposed to be at school or and they are at school because you know that phone call, there's nothing good that can happen. Either your kid is sick or your kid's in trouble or it's your kid on the other end saying, hey, dad, I forgot my homework. Can you please bring it before one o'clock? And you're in that moment as a parent being like, Ugh, what do I do? And some of you are like, well, it's easy. I'd tell them to forget it. And some of you would be like, I'll be there in two seconds, honey. You know, we're kind of all over the map on that one, right? And probably there's a lot of context that would matter to that. Or when a friend says, hey, I need a little help with rent. Can you spot me $100? But in the back of your mind, you're like, and why did you go to Vegas last weekend? Or maybe you're a teacher at school and the student comes up and says, I know the science projects were due today. Can I turn mine in tomorrow? And you notice that three other people, students, are listening. But what you know and the, the three students don't know is that this student's mom is in the hospital. Like suddenly it gets really difficult to kind of wade through like, how do you help people? And when you listen to a request, what should you do? Because we want to help people without enabling Years ago, I had a friend who came from a, a rough background, a rough childhood. He had a lots, of, lots of things stacked against him, academically, relationally, um, economically, lots of things. And so as a friend, though, I was glad to help him when he needed something sometimes. And so I would give him a ride sometimes, and I would, I would uh, pay for something sometimes and help him with different things. But as time went on, that relationship started to turn, and I began to feel not like a friend, but as an ATM machine slash taxi driver slash counselor on call 24-7, and I began to feel like I don't, I don't feel like a friend anymore, and really I was feeling like a failure that I had not helped my friend kind of get to a better place in life. And my friend was feeling like a failure and frustrated, and it became kind of toxic for both of us. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in those places where you're trying to help someone and things just did not go well. And Moses knew exactly what you were talking about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 3. But I, I'm going to reference Moses here for just a moment because he experienced something that some of you have experienced as well. It is a reality if you care for other people. It's called compassion fatigue, right? Some of you have experienced that. At, at one point, Moses uh, prays to God. He's like, what have I done to deserve this? Do I have to be mom to an entire country? I'm kind of paraphrasing this. But he ends it with saying this. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. 
whoa, Moses, buddy, take it easy, dude. But some of you have felt that before, right? Anybody ever felt like Moses? Of just like, God, I cannot mom and baby these people anymore. I can't do this. I can't care for this person one more day. I don't know how I can do it. And so this tough question gets right at the heart of where some of you are in your life right now. And some of you are in, in the place of caring for somebody, and some of you are in the place of being cared for by someone. And I want to speak to both of you. And I'm going to list some principles, and it's kind of some big biblical principles, and then some real specific kind of questions to help you. But in the midst of that, I want you to realize this. It's one thing to have these principles that guide us. It's another thing to try to apply them in the mess and thick of helping someone. So I want you to hear these with some grace, okay? Nobody's allowed to beat themselves up all day long today. That's not what this is about. Because ultimately, what we want to do is point people to the gospel of Jesus, who's our real hope. But thankfully, the Bible gives us some practical help in in covering this topic as well. So there's a definition of love that I think can be really helpful for us. Here's this definition of love that I think can help us as we're trying to help others. Love is doing what is in the best interest of the other person from God's perspective. It's not doing what they want you to always do. It's not doing what you always want to do. It's doing what you think God wants you to do. That is a great definition of love because parents know to love your kids is to say no to them when they want to stay up way too late or they don't want to go to school that week, or they want to eat, you know, cotton candy for the rest of their lives, right? You say no because you love them. You're doing what is in their best interest to sometimes say no. Sometimes you say yes because that's in their best interest. But if we can begin to think about love as in doing what is someone's best interest from God's perspective, What would God have me do in this situation? What would be best for them? Again, that doesn't answer all of the questions and the details, but it helps us. And so if we're going to answer that question, we have to have two things, compassion and wisdom. You you can't love someone without compassion and wisdom. If you don't have compassion, you won't actually learn anything about them to really even be able to use wisdom. You have to have compassion to love someone, but you also have to have wisdom. Otherwise, you end up feeling jaded or taken advantage of or thinking like you're not really helping and doing the wise thing. And actually, if you begin to lose wisdom, you begin to lose compassion. And if you begin to lose compassion, you begin to lose wisdom. So we need them both, compassion and wisdom. Okay, so I want to come to our text today in Acts chapter 3. We're going to read this story, and I'm just going to paraphrase real quickly two others that go along with it. But Peter and John, two of the apostles, have just preached this great sermon. Many people have come to know the Lord, and this is the next thing that it says happens. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Pause for a moment. There's some people who have been just in their lives, they have had to ask for help their entire life. And that is a tough spot to be in. And sometimes it's hard to be in that spot and have a real great view and perspective of the world because you're in that place of just like everybody who walks by is a resource. And that's the only thing. I just need them to give me something. 
I need them to meet the need that I'm asking for. This guy's had a tough life. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Okay, sometimes when people ask for money, what do we do? We, we look away, don't we? We act like we don't see them. And I think as Christians, we always should look at people, even if we need to say no. I know that's difficult sometimes, but I like that it, the text mentions they looked at them. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. You would jump too, right? When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. A beautiful story. In Exodus 16, uh, there's the story of the Israelites being delivered from slavery, and they're out in the wilderness, and they begin to complain about being hungry, and they're like, God, it would be better for us if you just left us as slaves. That's kind of the words of a complainer somebody who's pretty pessimistic. And so God gives them manna, which literally means, what is it? Because it was this mysterious bread that appeared on the ground and nobody knew what it was, but they realized they could eat it. But they wanted more than bread. They wanted meat as well. So God miraculously provided quail and they needed water and God did this miracle to provide water for them. And so when they asked, God gave it. But their response was often to ask for more. They were thankful for about a moment and then they wanted something else. In Luke chapter 17, there's 10 men with leprosy who are hanging out together, which is interesting because nine were Jewish, one was a Samaritan, and the only reason the 10 of them would hang out is because of this great disease they had that actually brought them together because they were cast out of society. And they come and they say, Jesus, can you heal us? And Jesus says this interesting thing, go, go show yourself uh, to the temple so you can be declared worthy and, and okay to come into the temple. And, but he doesn't heal them right then. He waits till they begin their journey to go there. And when they go, they're all 10 healed. Nine of them follow Jesus' words and the, the customs to go straight to the temple. But one of them, the Samaritan, says, I'm going to go back and tell Jesus thank you. He's the only one of the 10 who goes to say thank you. And Jesus praises him for being the one who uh, followed God's heart to say thank you and to express appreciation. And so I was looking at these three stories, and I just kind of stacked them up together. And I put this up on the screen. If you think about what happened with each one, all three begin with a request. And then in Acts 3, there's a denial. I don't have any money. But then there's an answer that's better than the request. Walk. And then there's this transformed life that includes a happy dance and a, a changed life. And then there's all these witnesses who see. When the church takes care of people, the community notices. When they see it done in Jesus' name. And in Exodus 16, there's a request. God, give us something to eat. And there's a yes in a very unusual way. And then there's grumbling and more request and a yes in a very unusual way. And there's some appreciation, but also ingratitude and even disobedience about how to collect the food. 
And what we see in the life of the Israelites is an epidemic of grumbling. It seems like when you just kind of read through the, the life of the Israelites during this time, there's just grumbling after grumbling, and it seems like it just infected them at different times in this nasty way. And we're going to talk about uh, how that's the opposite of thankfulness and what God is after and what leads to change. And in Luke 17, there's this request, heal us. And Jesus says, yes, but in an unusual way. Go ahead and start heading that way. And nine, obey legally. Uh, kind of follow the, the letter of the law there. But one turns around heartfelt and says, thank you. And he's the one who's praised by Jesus. There's lots of other stories in the Bible that we could have drawn from today. But looking at these and looking at others, I want to offer you kind of three really big kind of uh, bird's eye view perspectives that can help guide us as Christ followers in helping people without enabling them. And we need all three together. So here's the first one. It is my responsibility to help those in need. Three big responsibilities. It's my responsibility to help those in need. God has some really harsh words for those who do not help the person in need. I mean, you go to your Bible and just start flipping a couple pages left and right, and you're going to find something that God is saying about helping those in need. In Proverbs 22, it says, Do not exploit the poor. Because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Ooh. Proverbs 14 Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. You see, this is about treating people as God sees them, as people created in the image of God. So it's a matter of justice, biblical justice to treat people well. Eric Mason uh, says, biblical justice cannot be separated from compassion, and he calls this intervening justice. And here's what he writes. Intervening justice means we get personally, deeply involved with the people suffering in need of justice, healing, and help. So it means that we take this posture of listening, of teachability, of learning the plight of someone in need as opposed to assuming or condemning someone uh, who's on public assistance, even though we don't know anything about their story, or assuming someone is uneducated, um, and that means that they're lazy. We can't assume a broke person is bad with finances. We, we, we begin with listening and learning and like entering into the messy situation of whatever the need might be in any way. So if... if Somebody is not currently in the thick of caring for people with economic or spiritual or emotional, relational needs, and they're just kind of ignoring that and away from that because they don't want it to mess up their tidy and clean, nice life, then there's two words for that person I want to say today. And the first is this, keep your advice about how to help people to yourself because it's not helpful. In fact, it's... It's hurtful when somebody who's not willing to jump into the messiness of helping has all of their grand ivory tower ideas about how the people who are actually helping should do it. Because you can't really have wisdom without compassion. God puts those things together. And the more compassion you have, you can grow in your wisdom because with compassion, you listen to people. You care about them. You, you find out what's really going to help them. 
And the second thing I would say to the person who's walking away from messy situations is, you're actually walking away from the path of Jesus. And just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and where did Jesus go? He, he, he did have a few times of solitude and quiet. He had different experiences, but he did not avoid the messy situations. In fact, he often walked right into the middle of them. I mean, can you imagine walking into a, a big crowd of people who have diseases that are thought to be, you can catch it if you touch the person? Or to people who are begging you? Or to people who say, hey, somebody is demon-possessed, can you come help them? If, if, you, if you come up to me and say, hey, you, can you come help a whole bunch of demon-possessed people? I'm like, uh, look at the time. And Jesus was walking right into, into places Nicodemus, who has got kind of the spiritual mess of this kind of rich, powerful person, he walks, Jesus goes to them. He goes to the messy places where he might even be criticized. And so if you want to have the compassion of Jesus, be willing to enter the messes of other people because we'll find them there. It is my responsibility to help those in need because God loves them. Because God loves them. And he lets me love them and think of them as he thinks about them. And the truth is, I've been the one in the mess who needed to be loved, who needed your compassion, who needed the Lord's compassion. The second thing, second responsibility is, it's my responsibility to use wisdom in helping. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, Proverbs 11 says. But the cool bring ruin on themselves. Proverbs has all of this talk about wisdom. When Peter and John are said, hey, can we have some money? And they don't have any money. They don't say, hang on a second. Let me go take out a high interest loan. They don't do that. They just are like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any money. I can give you something better, but I don't have any money. And oftentimes, we feel like we have to choose either compassion or wisdom. And when we read the Bible, we realize, oh, God actually wants me to choose both. And that's where it gets pretty tough sometimes. The organizations and churches that are most effective in helping people who have all kinds of needs are those who practice compassion and wisdom. It's not just a food pantry is not near as helpful if it just kind of shoves food towards people and says, take that and get out of here. We'll see you later. Um, that's not actually what research says is is as helpful. That can be helpful to some people in some places, but to actually get to know people and to get to learn their stories and encourage them and pray for them and offer them help and resources and, and, a, and maybe a path forward um, is better and it's wise. And so when our 220 food pantry, um, which we're getting ready to have an anniversary coming up later this year, uh, but when we launched years ago and kind of uh, we're thinking about what are the best practices. I still remember the meeting that we had next door where we'd been working through a book and look, working through some scriptures, and together the leadership team there all recognized, whoa, it's possible for us to hurt people when we're trying to help them. That changes everything. Because because anybody who volunteers with us has the compassion component. That's why they would be drawn to the food pantry. So everybody in that room, we were all together. Yeah, we want to help people. But when we admitted, if we don't do this wisely, we're actually going to hurt people. 
that changed the game for us because then all of a sudden you have to think, okay, we'd better roll up our sleeves and get to work and figure out how do we actually help people because we don't want to give all this time and effort and heart into something that actually hurts someone. There's a famous old story, it's a true story, of a, a poor village in Africa in which um, a, a man who had grown up in that village knew that there was just a shortage of eggs. In fact, there was zero eggs anywhere. And so he decided he was going to invest everything he had and try to begin to solve that. And he got some chickens and began uh, able to sell a few eggs and was able to make a little profit and get some more chickens. And he started his own little industry in this village that was meeting a very real need. Uh, he was, he was uh, giving the eggs at a very small cost. It was affordable for the village. It was a great thing for the village. And he was going to be a job producer. And then somebody flew on an airplane into the village and did not ask many questions. They just kind of had all of their answers already. And they noticed, well, there's some eggs here, but there's not very many. And so they went home and they raised money and paid for a whole bunch of eggs to be supplied to that village for the next several months. It undercut the guy's business and drove him bankrupt. He lost everything that he had worked for. And after several months, when the guy's good deed of giving eggs was up, the village was once again left without any egg supply. And that happens in people's lives all the time when we don't help wisely. When we go in and think, oh, I can solve all of this by doing one good thing that makes me feel good about myself. And we actually realize it was selfish in giving. Oh my goodness, we don't want to do that. And the American system oftentimes gets it backwards. There's a, a kind of a cardinal rule of helping people that if somebody is in need, the people best equipped to help them are their closest family and friends. So think, think of a little circle. And the people next best equipped to help them would be their like, church community and neighbors and people right around them. And the people next best equipped to help them would be maybe their city and their community that knows its citizens pretty well. And the people next best equipped to help them would be maybe the state and then the federal government. And how does our system work sometimes? Kind of the total flip, right? And we, we talk to people all the time who are caught in this system that actually makes it difficult for them to move and for them to do anything. And they're put in difficult positions of trying to choose, um, do I get a few extra hours and lose these benefits? Can I survive for three months and I want to do what's right? Or maybe even worse than that, do I stay married to the love of my life? But if I get a divorce, then we could actually make rent next week. Gosh, there's some tough predicaments that people have been put into by a system that hasn't always been wise. And I, I don't know that we're going to change that whole system today, but we can do everything we can to try to surround the people closest to us and try to think about those small circles around us of how can I pour into them and help them and care for them with wisdom. So it's my responsibility to use wisdom when helping because it's possible to hurt those we are trying to help. The third responsibility is it's my responsibility to give credit to God. The danger with success in helping someone is to think that you were the one who did it. And the truth is that Highland Park can't claim responsibility for really helping anyone. It's, it's been God who's done that. God is in the business of changing lives. Highland Park has come alongside a lot of people. But we have to give all of the credit to God 
He's the one who has allowed us to help anyone. So our food pantry team and, and the outreach team here at Highland Park um, has started this little project, and we're not sure where all it will go and um, when it might be finished, but it's this great idea of a cookbook that could have recipes made up entirely of items found in a food pantry like ours so that it's something that we could give to clients so they could be like, oh, I got these seven items. Here's three different recipe ideas that I could try and these, these simple, uh, well-laid-out recipes that I could do you know, tonight to feed my family. We love this idea. It's a brilliant idea. But if this thing happens and if this cookbook gets done, then then we can say, yeah, thank you to the outreach team and to the food pantry team for doing this wonderful thing, but we should never start to feel a little arrogant about that because who gave that team the creativity to come up with those recipes? God. Who gave them the organizational ability to kind of lay it all out? God. Who gave them the writing skills to write this down? God. Who gave them the resource? God. And you just start looking at all this. God deserves all the credit. We have this beautiful privilege to come alongside him and help people and love people, but we give all the credit to God. In Deuteronomy 8, um, the people are reminded, don't start thinking that it's all about you, but instead remember that God gave you even the ability to work, even the ability to provide for yourself. And so from the richest to the poorest economically, we all look and realize that everything we have comes from God. And that puts us kind of on an even playing field when, we, when we're at the cross of Jesus. So it's my responsibility to give credit to God because all good things are from him. Okay, quick review. I'm going to read the responsibility. And once I say because... I'd like you to kind of fill in the blanks there and read the, the rest of this. Let's review these three things. It's my responsibility to help those in need because? God loves it's my responsibility to use wisdom when helping because? It's my responsibility to give credit to God because? Okay, I want to zoom in just a little bit because as I thought about and prayed about this sermon, I just kept thinking about Many of you who are in the trenches uh, helping someone and it's difficult right now. And I want to, again, uh, these questions I'm going to ask aren't going to solve everything. But they might give you some biblical wisdom to kind of move forward with. So I want to talk to the person who's helping someone else right now and maybe feeling a little hopeless. Um, just some questions to ask. And by the way, I listed all of these in your sermon page. I hope that can be a resource to you going forward. So... If you're trying to help someone else, um, does the person you are trying to help, one, treat you as a friend or a resource? And I think you, if you find that the person is treating you as a resource, your number one job is to try to figure out how to establish a friendship with them in which you don't have to be a resource. So you do something together like friends would do that doesn't involve you paying for them. Okay, You go to a free event. You hang out together and, and watch a ball game uh, at your place. You, you do some kind of friend stuff. And if the person rejects that, that's a clue that they don't view you as a friend anymore, which also means you probably can't help them. Okay? That may not be true 100% of the time, but 
that's, that's been something that's been helpful for me to kind of think about moving forward. And again, there's times I've broken that very rule, you know, every once in a while because of a, an extremely dangerous situation, whatever it might be. Um, but that's a, that's a helpful thought. Secondly, does the person you are trying to help express sincere gratitude or entitlement? And when, when you help somebody, if, you, if they just are like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and they express sincere gratitude, it's a clue that you're really helping them and that it really is making a difference in their lives. If it's like, oh, thanks, uh, can you help me again next week? Or I'll ex- or it's about time, or something kind of response like that, that might be a clue like, oh, maybe I'm actually feeding a bad habit instead of a, a good one. Um, does the person you're trying to help, are they committed to doing what is good and right? You have to think about that some. And again, you're going to help some people who maybe not be committed to doing what is good and right right now, but you have to think about that long term. How much do I keep helping and giving and doing if I think that they're going to actually use this resource for bad? So we have to think about all of those things. Secondly, if you are helping someone, I want to just kind of help diagnose your heart for a moment. So here's some questions that I want you to be wrestling with. Are you running empty on compassion? If you are, you need to spend some time resting in the Lord, uh, having some other people pour into you. Don't try to save the world if you're empty on compassion because it's not going to really look like saving. It's going to look like you're not putting out a fire, but you're squirting people in the face with the hose, okay? There's a difference, all right? So uh, are you empty on compassion? Are you operating without wisdom? And so kind of the next step is, are you praying for God to give you compassion and wisdom? Is that a regular part of your prayer? You know, one of the things I like about Moses, he had all these shortcomings. Uh, he had some depression and some anxiety and some anger, and um, he had some shortcomings. But one thing I love about Moses is even in those times, he still went to God. I mean, even when he was kind of being a little bit of a crybaby and whining, where did he express that? To God. Because he could. Because you can. God wants you to come to him and express your heart so that he can pour into you. The last part of that is who else can encourage you with godly maturity in your journey? Then you maybe find somebody else and say, hey, can you help me with this? Sometimes I found when I ask somebody else, I'm saying like, hey, I'm trying to help this person and here's a situation, can you help me? And they say yes, and I start to tell them, I actually realize what the smart answers are before I even finish my question, but I could have never come up with it on my own. I just needed somebody else in the same room listening. Isn't it interesting how God uses community sometimes to help us be wise? But sometimes I've had no idea, and I've asked somebody, and they've been like, oh, well, have you thought about this? And I, and I was so like wound up in the situation, I had not been able to think very clearly, and they set me straight. And so find somebody that can help you. So I, I also want to talk to the person who's in this season of life where you are the one being helped by someone else. And by the way, most of us are in both of these seasons at the same time in different settings in our life, right? And we certainly have been in this season, uh, if not multiple times, at least sometimes in our lives, where other people have really, we've leaned on them heavily and we've asked a lot of them. And that may have been family or friends or neighbors or church or whoever. But I want to ask some questions of you. Are you expressing sincere appreciation? If you're not, like call time out and take a few steps back and, and, and just ask God, why have I not been saying thank you? Why have I not been appreciative? Am I just so busy about like the next thing or myself or whatever? And then 
you need to make that situation right. And with sincere, uh, a sincere heart, begin to say thank you to people. Uh, because everybody's human. And we all kind of have these banks that we're People can take withdrawals and people can make deposits. And if we don't get any deposits, it's pretty hard to continue to help and to care for people, right? We're, we're human here. So if you're the one being helped, the next question, are you kind when someone declines your request for help? Or do you attempt to make them feel guilty, shamed, or wounded, right? That's, that's a sign of whether that is a friendship and something that's long-term I see my friend Ron sitting here, and he didn't know I was going to say this, so sorry, Ron, but it's, it's all good. Don't worry. I remember a number of times volunteering for Celebrate Recovery, and I uh, would often volunteer a couple times a month, and I remember there was a couple different times that something happened in our family life or with work or something where I could not come and meet my volunteer obligation. And I will never forget the first time that happened, and I was feeling really guilty about it. And I called Ron. I was like, man, i got to like, leave you stranded tonight. I can't be there. And I remember Ron saying, like, oh, it's okay. Like, stuff happens. I don't want you to worry about it at all. We're just glad you're connected. And I was like, oh, that was great. I'm going to do that every Thursday. No, I didn't really say that. <laughs> um, you know what that actually did? That made me volunteer more. There's like a leadership principle there. Like, yes, we want to have high responsibilities for people, but also we want to realize that everyone's human and they have families and kids get sick sometimes, right? And sometimes you have to make a choice of like, something's got to give of my responsibilities. And so to have somebody say like, hey, I, I can't help you right now, and for you to be like, okay, it's okay. Like, I love you. We're still friends. Man, that helps things go long term. Okay, next thing is, are you still looking to bless others? When I am in a personal crisis and I'm asking for help, my tendency is to only see like my little circle and to not even look around me. And so if you're being helped, get your head up and look around because God still expects you to be a blessing to other people. You may not be able to give a lot of money right now or you may not give a lot of time right now or however you're needing help, but you can still be a blessing in different ways. You can still speak words of encouragement and pray and maybe give in a different way to encourage people. So continue to do that. And the last thing is, are you working diligently? And the biblical principle is, is if you don't work, you don't eat. That's kind of like, oh, that's tough. And some people can't work or some people are out of a job and they're doing their best. And some people have a disability. I don't want any of those people to feel guilty about what I'm saying. But everybody has a responsibility to work diligently in this life. You serve your family diligently. Serve your church diligently. You work at, at, at your job diligently. And if you're in a place where you're needing help, you're doing your best so, so that um, the people that can help you can be a blessing and that, and that you can help your situation as well. So we continue to work diligently. So last question that I have is kind of stepping aside from that and just think about it like this. How does God relate to us? You think about how God relates to us. There are a number of times where, and we're reading in the Bible, where God shows grace to somebody and people's reactions are like, are you serious? You're going to forgive that guy and that one? Jesus, do you even know who you're talking to right now? Because that lady has a bit of a checkered past. You, wait, Jesus, can you maybe say that parable one more time? Because I don't think the people who ask for forgiveness at the very end of their life should get in. And Jesus blows people away with his compassion. Like, we can't get it. We're like, really? That person? 
because we've kind of forgot about this person? Jesus operates with compassion, and yet he also operates with wisdom. Romans 5, should you go on sinning so that grace can just increase? By no means. Knock it off. Start following me. Don't think that you can just say, oh, I love Jesus, and then do your own thing. I actually want you to follow me. And there are times in Scripture when people say, God, would you do this? And God says, I love you, but no. Where I'm going to do this instead, where you're going to have to wait for a while and a while and a while and a while and a generation. There are times that God doesn't give us what we want because he loves us. He's giving us what is in our best interest according to his perspective, which is a beautiful thing, which is where all of this leads us to we want to be helped by God. We need to be helped by God. We can't help ourselves. If we could fix ourselves, we'd all be okay by now. But we come to God and we say, God, can you help me? And he comes to us with compassion. I want you to know that. He loves you. So much compassion that some people will be like, I can't believe he cared and forgave Brian that much and, and you that much. And God also comes to us in wisdom. And that's where we need to have faith, that God's answers are best in in this world, in his kingdom for us, and we can be okay with when he says yes and when he says no and when he says later or he says, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do this instead, and we can walk in faith with him because God is full of compassion and wisdom so we can trust him. We want you to trust God's wisdom and his compassion. This morning, we want to offer a time of prayer that I hope you'll take advantage of. And we're going to have a few folks up here and over here. And, and I want to specifically invite you to come if you need God to help you in your life. And, and I don't want to really put limitations on that. If you need help from God in your life, then please come. And if you are in a situation where you're helping someone and you're, you're hitting your head against a brick wall because you don't know what to do next, God understands And I don't have some little silver bullet to tell you this will fix all of your choices trying to balance this tension of of wisdom and compassion. But the Bible does say to ask God for wisdom. So again, if you're in that spot, would you come during this next song and just ask somebody to pray for you? The Bible says to do that. Ask people to pray for you, and we'll pray for you in that situation. You can be specific, but you don't have to be. You can just say pray for wisdom in this situation, and we'd be glad to pray for you. So uh, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up, and they're going to sing for us, and we'll sing together. If you would, would you be standing? And if you want to ask for God's help in your life in any way, uh, if you want help, you want wisdom, you need to experience God's compassion, we invite you to come and receive prayer uh, during this next song. Let's pray. God, we uh, say thank you for your goodness, for your compassion, for your help, for your wisdom, and we understand that we all desperately need it from you. Uh, Only you can save us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.